Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League Podcast here on FanDrag Sports. My name is Sebastian Noren, with me is Elliot Niblock. And uh, for your listening pleasure this uh, week we have another international special, the Gold Cup. Well underway now, Elliot. And after two games, the United States, the top group B, they have four points. But man, if they looked crappy. Oh, yeah. If you could ever back your way into the top spot of a group, the U.S. has had the reverse taillights on. Maybe through all of their first two matches in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, the 1-1 draw against Panama, they started off the tournament with that. And then uh, the other day here at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, they edged out a 3-2 win over Martinique. And... um, I mean, we were texting during this game, and that that first half was some of the worst play I've seen from an international U.S. side in well, they didn't a long didn't, time. Yeah, on the whole, that's very true. They didn't look that bad in the first few minutes, but then they it seemed like they almost settled into a weird combination of complacency and nerves mm-hmm. after they missed a couple of chances. I mean, it just it was it was abysmal, um, and. I think that, well, here we should uh, we should give the listeners Paulie's take as well. Give him kind of the first words since he's not actually here to discuss it. Yes, we will bring in his mobile take right here. What's up? It's Paulie coming off of another rather embarrassingly bad U.S. men's national team game. This time they actually did manage to get the three points, which in the grand scheme of things is if you're looking at the Gold Cup from a tournament perspective, the most important thing um, in terms of the tournament, get three points in your group stage games, move on to the next round, even though, as Seb mentioned in the last show, it's pretty much impossible to not move on. However, it is the Gold Cup, and it is CONCACAF, and we don't judge the U.S., especially in the group stage, and this goes for uh, the Gold Cup or the Silver Cup, which is the one where we don't bring our best players, which is this one. There's only one team that can and should be able to challenge the U.S. on U.S. soil, and that's Mexico. Costa Rica, we can't beat them in Costa Rica, but they can't beat us here. And I know that because we played them in the Copa America last year. We wiped the floor with them. Nobody else, no matter what players we, we bring, should be able to compete with the U.S. on U.S. soil. And... The draw against Panama was bad. This game against Martinique, worse. The Americans, the roster that we have is pretty much a glorified MLS All-Star team. It is the best MLS has to offer in terms of U.S. Uh, US born players and Dom Dwyer. And that team should be able to beat these small island nations of CONCACAF handedly. And we couldn't. Now, it'd be one thing if, you know, if Martinique parked the bus in front of the net and the U.S., which really played a straightforward 4-4-2 with not a lot of creativity in it. You know, you had Paul Areola, who's an attacking winger, you know, kind of like a 4-3-3 winger. On one side, you had Jossie Zardes, who is a lateral player who, as we found out in the Copa America last year, not really great at getting forward or at... Not as good at at going forward as he once was, especially out wide. I see him as more of a striker and not uh, one of the better ones that we have. 
I think he had his chance to break through and he's kind of plateaued. There wasn't a lot of creativity in the team. So if Martinique had parked the bus and we struggled to score, that's understandable. But that's not what happened. Instead, Martinique was was coming down the other way and the midfield failed to impose themselves. And Brad Guzan was the best player on the field in the first half of the U.S., which is never a good thing because, as we saw in the second half, the more you rely on Brad Guzan to make saves, eventually something bad will happen. And that's exactly what happened in the second half. But but more to it, the U.S. finally gets the breakthrough. Now Martinique has to open up, even though it's not like they were parking the bus. They They were pretty open the whole game. They opened up a bit more. The U.S. should have blown the doors off them at that point. It's embarrassingly sad that the U.S. was able to blow a 2-0 lead to Martinique. They're very lucky that they woke up and immediately put a third one in there to get the three points. But this was overall a bad performance. And, you know, it. you look at it, this Gold Cup, the Silver Cup, is an opportunity for players to play their way into World Cup qualifying and play their way into the World Cup roster, which I don't think is a good thing to begin with, and I'll get into that in a later show. But nobody's really making a statement here. I think Kellen Acosta's done well. Eric Lehigh, absolutely fantastic game. But a lot of the players where there's question marks on the field, nobody really stepped up, and that's the concern. Forget about Bruce Arena's tactics for a second because Bruce Arena's not going anywhere. The people that he puts out on the field, they're the ones with the opportunity. They're the ones that should be hungry to recognize, this is my chance to play. This is, that's exactly what Kyle Beckerman did four years ago. And they're not doing that. And that's the concern. Okay, so there we got Paulie's take on this whole U.S. situation thus far in tournament. And, um, I mean, he, he said the word embarrassing, and I, I, I agree. Yeah. I and totally I, agree. I also in- agree with him in that I think that this, this on the whole, like in the grander scheme of things, this is a, even though we got all three points, this is a, a more frustrating result than the one, one drug Panama to open the group stage was. Um, I, I think the one thing that I don't agree with him with, uh, is that, you know, nobody stood out really. Sorry, oh, something's that's a, happening. That's a ringtone. <laughs> Sorry, we'll have to edit that out. I have no idea what that was. That is fine. <laughs> um, anyway, so I agree. I I agree with Polly that it's that it's more embarrassing than the initial draw against Panama. Right, even though we still took all three points from this match, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree that Brad Guzan is the only, you know, the only player that stood out for the U.S. I mean, I think <laughs> I do think that Paulie's right in saying that anytime, you know, Brad Guzan is clearly your best player on the field, you're probably going to be in trouble eventually because yes. he's not going to keep making those saves. Uh, but, I, but I think that Jordan Morris had a good game, right? You know, I. Yeah, you he can't complain. Of, I mean, two goals, you can't really complain. You can't be... Yeah. Then then you're good. You're good. And he... I mean, he could have... Maybe she even might say should have had a hat trick, uh, you know, on the run of... Like, the overall run of play. But in the grander scheme of things, he 
he saved the U.S. from catastrophic embarrassment, and instead it's just kind of like you've had your fly down for 90 minutes embarrassment. Yeah, but I think the main problem here is especially the central midfield has looked so uninspired. Like, we were talking heading into this oh, yeah. tournament, we were like, oh, you know, Kellen Acosta, you know, this is his time to sort of take him by the scruff of the neck and really cement his place in the team and, you know, show what he can do without having Bradley next to him where he would be the guy who goes forward and be the creative guy. And that has just not happened. I know he's a young player. I still think he's going to come good. Don't get me wrong. But in these two opening games, he's been poor. I don't know. I'm not, I am not very impressed with Kellen Acosta. I'll just say that right now. Um, I mean, I actually think I was more inspired by Roe than uh, he just, it's, it's not only that he seems to be, you know, especially at, in an era, oh boy, I'm, I'm really going to say the Pulisic era. I think I am. Like, but in an era when I think that Christian Pulisic holds the gold standard for, you know, what a midfielder should be doing going forward for the United States, he looks terribly uninspired by that standard. And then also his defending is frequently abysmal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember it was, I believe it was at the end of the first half against Panama um, that he almost allowed i mean he almost he there was a a long ball in which was kind of like a last ditch effort to get something from the half and instead instead of just closing his man down and heading it away i mean and admittedly he doesn't have a ton of height but he tried to take the like trap the ball and take it out of the air misjudged it completely and the panama winger was able to cut inside and have a free shot that you know the u.s was lucky didn't go in yeah uh i mean it just I'm I'm overall not impressed with his game front to back. I uh, I think that he's a fine squad player for the Gold Cup or as Polly says the Silver Cup, but I don't I don't think that he's shown me enough to do anything more than that. Yeah. Yep. One little weird tidbit that I saw while looking through the games here was that the, in the opening game against Panama you had an attendance of 47,622. And then after that game ended, they had a Martinique against Nicaragua game at the same stadium and everything. Attendance, 5,515. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Where where was that game played again? Nissan Stadium in Nashville. God. Oh, man. That is... I have to give my buddy Josh a little bit of shtick for not showing up. Granted, I mean, he does have small children and a busy work schedule. But <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, were people that disappointed with that 1-1 draw that they're like, we're not even going to stick around and watch this other game. I mean, it's, it, does kinda, it does kind of surprise me because, I mean, you know, Nashville's not miss, it's not It's not Portland, Seattle, Columbus – Right for uh, and certainly from a U.S. standpoint, Columbus as kind of a stronghold of support for the men's national team. But you would still expect a better showing than that. Uh, my gosh. Yep. Yeah, we'll see how they do here when they go up against Nicaragua on Saturday at First Energy Stadium in Cleveland. At least it's not supposed to rain. We've had storms in Ohio pretty much all week. But it supposed, oh, yeah. supposedly <laughs> it's going to be okay tomorrow. Yeah, no, yesterday I thought my apartment building was going to fall down. 
Oh no, yeah, I, I was uh, talking to my girlfriend in Chicago, and she was like, "Yeah, uh, one of our company's hospitals had to be evacuated because the basement of another facility flooded, and they were without power." Like, yep. Oh. <laughs> yep, that's uh, the Midwest. I can't, I can't get a break. Like, I moved to California, and then it's like earthquakes and wildfires. <laughs> moved to Arizona, they're like, you know, we have this thing called a haboob. I'm like, what's a haboob? It's basically a giant sandstorm. <laughs> and wildfires there, too. And I was like, okay, move to the Midwest. Thunderstorms and tornadoes. <laughs> yeah, and thunderstorms, <laughs> thunderstorms and tornadoes. I was like, okay, well, oh, oh, oh well. Like the worst, the, thing, the worst thing that can happen in Sweden is a storm, like a really bad storm. Like it happens once every, you know, couple of years. You mean uh, bad snowstorm? No, like a bad, like... Like thunderstorm. Thunderstorm. Not even thunderstorm, just a lot of rain, basically. Yeah. Maybe yeah, what we need windy. is a, a snowstorm a la the Costa Rica game in Denver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> qualifying a few I mean that, that I mean that game. My God. Yeah. So uh, let's take a quick look at the other groups, though. Group A, we find Canada at the top, four points, same as Costa Rica. Uh, Canada has a better goal differential. That's while they're in front there. They uh, played a 1-1 draw. Alfonso Davis scored again for Canada. So 16-year-old now up to three goals in two games. And then Honduras and French Guyana played a scoreless draw. But because French Guyana played Florent Maluda, who was deemed ineligible for the tournament by CONCACAF, Honduras was awarded a 3-0 win. So Honduras stays in third with three points. Um, and French Guiana at the bottom with zero points. Yeah, but I think one of the, I mean, not only you know, for my club allegiance, but also for the course of this tournament and indeed the course of World Cup qualifying, um, I think the big story out of this group at the moment is that Joel Campbell is going to need surgery and is going to be out for six months after being injured in that 1-1 draw with Canada. Yeah, he had to step off early, about 20 minutes in. So. Yeah, and the, I mean, the you know Costa Rican Football Association said he's definitely going to need surgery. And so that's, I mean, that that means not only is the the Silver Cup done for him, which, uh, okay, say la vie, but he won't be able to play in their next round of World Cup qualifiers either. Mm. Yeah, and he can't really compete for a uh, spot in the Arsenal squad either, although I think he would most likely be loaned out again. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that that's going to be the conversation, is that I think that it was less, it was really, it was always less about him breaking into the squad coming back from Sporting Lisbon. It was about him finding a permanent move Mm. following Sporting Lisbon. But I... You know, uh, now what exactly what his future holds is extremely uncertain. I mean, he's still a player I have a lot of time for. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I won't be, it won't really tug at my heartstrings to see him leave the way it will when Wojciech Szczesny ultimately departs. But nonetheless, yeah. you know, he's, I th- he's, he's a quality player. He's just not a world beating player. But, mm-hmm. you know, I still, I still wish him the best. He's a player I've always liked. Yeah, no, I even, I mean, I don't watch too much of Arsenal, but the few times I have seen him play, I, I do like what I see, and I think that, you know, maybe he'll, let's say he's not going to be back until the second half of the season, 
Well, maybe you can send him out on loan to a championship team or something, or a team towards the bottom of the Premier League, and uh, sort of take it from there. But the whole Florent Maluda business here, I think it's so silly. It really is. We're talking about a 37-year-old player. It's not like they're like, hey, Lionel Messi, you want to come play a tournament with us? We're talking about 37-year-old Florent Maluda who hasn't played for the French national team in four or five years. I think it's five years. And French Guyana, they're not a FIFA member. I know that these this tournament is under FIFA rules and everything, but we're talking about French Guyana. This is not going to make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... But but you gotta you gotta still draw the line in the sand somewhere I think right like you can't just be like yeah well whatever <laughs> small potatoes in this case I mean these teams are I mean these nations are so small they their pool from yeah. picking players is so minimal and it's another case for why do you even have twelve teams in this tournament. Well, yeah, I mean, just rounding out the numbers for yeah. money's sake. Well, and then that's the, that's the thing too. Why do you even have non-FIFA members in this tournament being played under FIFA rules? Oh, I mean, I think that that you're you're speaking you're speaking more come to on the kind of like B quality nature of the tournament. I think. Come on, Concacaf! Come on, come on, U.S. Soccer! We should say that Chuck Blazer died too. The oh, father yeah, of the Gold Cup. The father of the Gold Cup. And also... Mr. 10%. Yeah, Mr. Bribery. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, he did some good things for U.S. soccer, yes. But at, the he, same, yeah, but at the same time, he was a scumbag. Yeah, I mean, he was... He was, cons- he was invariably interested, perhaps not first and foremost, but at least a close second in lining his own pockets, even if he also cared about growing the game um, in the United States. And, you know, it's, I, I was reading an obituary of him and that, that linked to a blog that he wrote that's still up online that you can find actually. Okay. Uh, and in it, he several years ago, I think in 2010 was detailing a visit with President Vladimir Putin that he had in Russia. You know, it was like, oh, and then he told me he looked like Karl Marx, and I winked and said, I know, and he gave me a high five, which is the first time a prime minister has given me a high five. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Mm. And then he happened to vote for Russia to host the 2018 World Cup. Yes. Isn't that interesting? Yep. Uh, he's, he was, yeah, you know, not to speak ill of the dead, but his legacy is about as tainted as one's could possibly be. Oh I, yeah. I mean, at least, I mean, of course. At least he like, at least he turned informant to help the FBI. But you know. Yeah, but not... that that's still to save his own ass. Yeah, exactly. It's to, to keep himself out of prison during the last years of his life amid failing health. So yeah. I mean, it's you know, I don't, I, I don't need to kind of, I, I don't need to bang this drum too hard. I mean, he's all he's already been completely disgraced, but so I don't want to completely. Just, you know, beat a dead horse here. Ooh, yep. That was probably a bad metaphor to use. Yeah, but, well. but, but you know, he he did some good things to grow the game, and ultimately it was probably three steps forward and seven steps back in terms of not only the United States 
like soccer in the United States, but also right like corruption in FIFA around the globe. Yeah, and I mean that that's the thing too. FIFA, FIFA, they still have. I don't think they've gotten rid of all the bad eggs yet. No. It's, no, it's, I mean, definitely not. <laughs> it, it was a very corrupt organization. It was basically the mob. I mean, we're playing the World Cup in the freaking desert. Yep. It, like, I'm all, I'm all for trying to bring the global game more widely across the gro- globe and to include host nations that, you know, previously might not have hosted. But... You can't play the World Cup when it's 110 degrees Fahrenheit outside or 125 as it often is. Yeah. And so what are they going to do? Are they going to completely disrupt the normal cycle of European and football around the globe in order to play it in a different time of year? Yep. Maybe they might have to. Are they going to air condition the stadiums like they promised they were going to be able to? Probably not because that technology just doesn't look like it's going to work. I mean, they, they, they they've done it to one stadium. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, the, but the other thing is that it's just like, this, these stadiums are being built by slaves. Like, thousands of people are dying and are going to continue to die before the World Cup is hosted there, unless it's pulled from Qatar, which, I mean, FIFA's too spineless to ever do. Yeah. No, because I mean, as a comment, I mean, it's just, it's... I'm, I'm I am really livid about yeah. the World Cup. No, it is it, it's going to be a very weird situation because you know it's scheduled to be played between late November and mid December. So mm. it, it's going to be really weird for all the you know top leagues in Europe that play you know fall spring because you're going to have to basically take more than a month off in the middle of the season. I mean, we're going to have the Premier League season in 2020. Like, it's going to be finishing in, you know, in around maybe around this time almost, right? Like at, at least not until June. Like we're going to we're going to have a a Champions League final in late June. Late June. Yeah. It's yep. just it, it's ridiculous. So. Yeah, it will be weird. But back to the Gold Cup and the one group we haven't talked about, that's Group C with the reigning champs, Mexico. And after a 3-1 win over El Salvador in the first game, they played a frustrating, I would say, scoreless draw against Jamaica. Oh, yeah. And Denver. (laughs) I mean, they were denied by the post. They had one ball cleared just off the line. They were creating chances in this one. They weren't that great in front of goal. They only had two shots on net, but Jamaica had nothing in this one. Nothing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about being thrilled with a point, then Jamaica's certainly going to be that. Although, to be fair, there were, you know, when you talk about they had these great chances and one of them was cleared off the line, you got to give you got to give Jamaica credit for that clearance because that was pretty spectacular. Yeah, I mean, the, the defender did a good job. But I don't know what Blake was doing on that ball. <laughs> yeah, that's he true. was he was <laughs> out he was out buying hot dog or something. I don't I don't know, well, but that was not and, good. Like the funniest thing was his reaction. You know, when the ball was clearly already long gone, and then he just kind of like does the splits in the air and yep. falls over. <laughs> yeah, no, and then we saw El Salvador take a two nothing win over Curacao. So Curacao, they are out basically, unless they. <laughs> Unless they beat Mexico with like seven nothing, which is not gonna happen. 
Um, Mexico could probably pick a team of fans from the stands, put them in the game against Curacao, and they would still not lose 7 nothing. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about these teams having to choose from a pool of players who are essentially amateurs, so, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, and, and, hey, and Curacao, they've stood up well. I mean, they've, they've done what they can, basically. Um, you know, it's another small nation, but two two nothing losses against Jamaica and El Salvador, and now they're going up against the best team in the group in Mexico. I I just don't see them having any chance at all in this one. Yeah, but I mean, well, like speaking of amateurs, what about that uh, Christos FC team that gave DC United a run for their money in the Open Cup? Yeah, <laughs> a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean. I feel like that's more likely on a club level than it is on a national team level. Oh, yeah. By um, far. So, we'll see. I do want to give... I'm sorry, I sort of blanked over this, but uh, Kevin Parsonman in Martinique uh, had a good game against the U.S. Oh, yeah. He he did have a really good game. I mean, all of their... He, I mean, he should be getting a move somewhere. Because he's playing Where? in the Mar- Martinique League for, like, Golden Lion, I want to say the club is. And it's a great name. Great name for a team. But I definitely feel like he could earn himself a move to maybe a USL team. Who knows? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I th- that seems like a, a reasonable step up to mm-hmm. me. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how much higher than that. You know, well, maybe, I mean, maybe, you maybe saw, a squad spot in the MLS. You know, you but, saw, yeah, because you saw Jordi Delem. He played for Seattle Sounders, you know, the second team last season in the USL. And now this team, he's up with the, the big guys, the big boys. So, uh, yeah, Kevin Parsman, I just want to throw that out there. I think he's been really good. So, um, back to Group C, though. Jamaica and El Salvador. They play that first game. It's at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. And, you know, Jamaica, they will settle for a point here. End up top two in the group. That's really good for them. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that would, <laughs> that, that would be fantastic considering. I mean, basically just getting a point off of Mexico, getting something from that game puts them in a pretty good position. Yeah. So since we have two of the best place third place teams going through uh right now we have honduras and martinique going through and then el salvador missing out uh they they're all in three points honduras uh, have a goal differential plus two martinique plus one and then el salvador zero so just because honduras were awarded that three nothing win over french guyana they're now in a prime position to make it through the quarterfinals Mm-hmm. That's a shame because I yeah. feel like Honduras have been a really poor team. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I guess I'm kind of two minds about this because I, I, I have some sympathy for French Guiana, but I still, I don't know. I'm, yeah, no, I, I get it. Fine, the rules are the rules, but at the same time, yeah. three nothing, you know. It, Instead of a scoreless draw, you're giving them a three nothing win, yeah. And basically, I mean, that's... and basically taking a dump on El Salvador, who actually won the game. Yeah. So 
So, I mean, because that's the thing. What if El Salvador misses out on goal differential? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and also it's just like, it. it is kind of, it, I mean, that's the thing, though, is that how do you, how do you reconcile those things, right? Do you just like give the three points without changing the goal differential? Yes. I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah, I was going to say, I don't see any problem with that, right? Like it's already, you know, it's nonsensical, but at the same time, it, you know, you're all already changing things, right? It's, yeah. it, it's fine. It's totally fine with me. I mean, the, the only sense. thing I would see would be that they would take away, like, let's say it was a, a one, one draw then you would give them the three points and the one goal that they scored and you take away French, French Guyana's goal. So it's a one nothing win. That that I could see, but 3 nothing, mm, I don't know. I mean, that's the that's the FIFA rules, and you know, yeah. we're going by that. And like I said, I understand the rules. I respect them, but at the same time, I, I feel like it's a, it's a shame when it's we're talking about, you know, Let's see how the population of French Guiana here. Um, population two hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, I mean that's like, geez, that's that's certainly less than the city of I don't know, even Madison, Wisconsin, or Columbus, Ohio, fielding team. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, oh gosh. Yeah, I mean, and also like. You know, Florent Maluda had a fine career, but he's a 37-year-old winger. Like Playing in India. So, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, 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 it is what it is. But, um, yeah, so far I'm not been super pumped for the any of these games, really. Yeah. Well, I think El Salvador, Curacao, that was a pretty decent first half. I did enjoy that one. Um, no, I mean, and I was... I dragged my friend to the bar who's not a huge soccer fan whatsoever with promises of like oh yeah the u.s should knock in like a good four or five (laughs) goals against martinique and then instead i'm just like gnashing my teeth and cursing the whole time and he's like um do you want another beer and i'm like yes i want another beer this is terrible yeah give me some (laughs) beer nuts yeah no i mean and with you know, now we got preseason starting here slowly for the Premier League teams. I know Manchester United will play Galaxy, LA Galaxy on Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern. I mean, I'm more, you know, I'd rather watch that than if that would. Now, it's not going to, you know, conflict with any of the CONCACAF Gold Cup games. But if that was the case, hell, I would rather watch the Galaxy play at Manchester United. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I so before I know we're going to get on to Premier League mm-hmm. transfer news, but before we do that, the one thing that I want to say is coming into tomorrow's games, if I am just going to speaking of Elliot being angry at bars about the U.S. men's national team, I am I'm going to be tempted to flip a table if Matt Miazga does not get a start in our third group stage. Yeah, he, he, because, oh, like, he better start. I mean, our defense has been abysmal. I was actually, even to the point that it was, you know, it was a crucial goal in the match. Obviously, when you only win by one, all of them proved to be that. But when Omar Gonzalez scored, I was almost mad because I was just like, 
we have been so shambolic in defense for this entire tournament, and now you get to have a goal next to your name. And if that keeps you on the team, like on the starting 11 for our next match, I am going to be so pissed. Yeah. Because he rotated almost the rest of the entire squad, and we looked probably even worse defensively. Uh, and it's just like, you know, if you're looking at this, if you're looking at this tournament as a way of bleeding, like you know, bleeding the youth and seeing how they do in a quote-unquote real game situation, then there's absolutely no reason to leave him on the bench when you've essentially guaranteed qualification. Yeah. It's just, it, it drives me bats. I mean, you know, I'm still happy to see where this Bruce arena experiment goes. Maybe it's kind of going back in time and also going backwards. Maybe it's just that Christian Pulisic has kind of bailed him out in the last few times, but I, these, these are certainly, I feel confident in saying the last two games, despite getting something from both and even winning the most recent, are the most frustrating we've seen under Bruce Arena tenure 2.0. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in that whole that's a whole another different discussion, and we got to get to the Premier League transfers. But at some point, we will take that Arena topic back up because uh, I feel like there's a lot behind the you know his hire and everything but for now we'll head over to the premier league where we were reached by the news today friday that kyle walker has signed for manchester city for a whopping 50 million pounds uh, one thing that i was shocked just reading here was that um Apparently, Maurizio Pochettino, the Tottenham manager, was happy to sell Walker. Yeah, that surprises me. Um, I mean, I know, I know that it's a lot of money, but... Yes, it's a lot of money. And it's a player that has had trouble, troubles with injuries, too. But yeah, but same... when he's not been injured, he's been... Yeah, one of the, one, like... one of the best right-backs in the world. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I honestly, again... <laughs> really stark biases come into play here. But I think that Hector Bellerin is the only one who's like really kind of given him a run for his money as the best right back in the league for the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, um, but Pochettino said to be happy having, you know, all that money and Kieran Trippier signing a new contract. And it also rumored that they're looking at Porto's Ricardo Pereira. Um, so they would have Pereira and Trippier just bat- basically just battle it out for that spot. And um, yeah, I mean, 50 million pounds, you can't really can't really say no to that. I know that they got a lot of money from the TV deal and everything, but 50 million for a for a for a right back. Well, I honestly, I'm to to be quite frank, I was surprised that they held on to him this long. I mean, I thought that you know he won young player of the season what now like four years ago or something um so i this is a transfer i actually thought would happen a year or two ago uh granted perhaps by holding out tottenham not only saw a little more success but also (laughs) there are no trophies but also got more money from him um i mean i don't know this is the kind of move that like when 
when you're playing when you're playing FIFA manager mode or football manager or whatever, mm-hmm. you do it immediately because it makes it, it totally makes sense when there's a clear path forward for translating, you know, when you can just see a player's overall rating and then there's a clear way to translate that money directly into a quality replacement perhaps even a higher quality replacement. But in the real world, it's a little harder to find a truly world-class right back. And I don't, I mean, this is something Paulie has liked to say recently is that, you know, just top-class defenders are dead in the world and it's hard to find them lately. And I don't, it's, it's a move that I'm kind of of two minds about. You know, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and prophesy exactly whether it's going to be good or bad for Tottenham. I'm, I'm inclined to think maybe that it's it's probably more bad than good, but you know it is a lot of money, and if they can translate that into a world class player in another position, then uh, then maybe it does make sense. But I, I that's the thing, though. I think they'll survive. I think that's oh, fine. Yeah, that's I don't I don't think that Walker is the first domino of a max exodus or anything. No, and Trippier is a very good player. Yes, he's not. Kevin, or he's not Cal Walker good, but I feel like he's good enough to play on a on a good team in the Premier League, and now he'll definitely you know get an get an honest shot. Uh, and I mean for Manchester City, they don't care how much he costs; they need him badly. Yeah, I mean they they've done all kinds of weird stuff where they've had. Uh, was it Fernando or Fernandinho? I keep uh, mixing those two together. But like one of those guys had to go down and play right back at some point. Yeah. So they de- they they were desperate to get in a quality right back, and since they couldn't land Danny Alves, then they they splashed the cash instead on Cal Walker. Which I mean, in the grander scheme of things, I mean I think that. Especially because Manchester City has all of these oil billions fueling it. So it's, as we've already talked about, like playing, <laughs> speaking of which, football manager with a cheat code on. Yep. And it, it's just, it, to them, it, you know, money is essentially no object. Even though oil is a finite resource, let's not forget that. But he none, like nonetheless, it's, it's a huge move for Manchester City. And I think it's a better move than getting Danny Alves. Like Danny Alves clearly has some left in the tank. Yeah, he... Proved that this past season, yes. uh, you know, not not least of which against his former side Barcelona, and acquitted himself very, very well. Yeah, um, but at and the he's same got time, far more experience. But you know, not only is Kyle Walker younger, but yeah. you're also weakening a rival by taking him off them and selling him. You know, getting him from within the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no, I mean that's the thing too. You can end up getting maybe a good year or two out of Alves, or you can get like seven years out of Walker if you're lucky. Yeah, I, I mean, seven might be a stretch, but it, certainly five. Yeah. Right? He's he's what twenty seven. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that expecting him to continue to perform at a top level when he's thirty four is a little more questionable. But thirty one or thirty two certainly. Yep, and I mean they're they're not going to be done with this. They still have more to to look at. I mean, they probably could use with a, a new left back too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in general their defense could be bolstered, and, and yeah. yeah. I mean, on paper though, it doesn't look too bad. Vincent Company is good when he's healthy. That's the trouble, though. He's never healthy. 
John, John, John Stones, you know, there's still something there. Um, you know, he might not, he might not turn out to be the next, you know, Rio Ferdinand or anything. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be his Nike slogan though. It's like John Stones, there's still something there. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Eliakim Mangala, promising player still, um, some growing pains there though. And, I mean, I've seen Nicolas Otamendi play well. I just haven't seen him play well for City. Yeah. So, on paper, their central of defense should be okay. But there's a lot of variables there. And then as you just move up the team, they just get better and better. Because um, I feel like their midfield is outstanding. And their striking options are just scary at this point. And... You know, they might even be bringing someone else in there because for some reason they don't seem to like Sergio Aguero anymore. So, uh, other news though, Lucas Leva has uh, or could be on his way out from Liverpool, I should say, after Lazio agreed with a uh, Liverpool on a five million pound fee. So, there we go. Good on you, Lucas Leva. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is other uh, is. You know, Liverpool reportedly uh, wanted to buy uh, Nabi Keita from uh, RB Leipzig. But Leipzig, they're just saying no. Like yeah. Keita and um, Emil Forsberg, their Swedish guy, both of them impressed so much during last season. But the club has basically said, we don't care how much you're offering us. We're not going to sell them. Yeah. So... Even though that Liverpool reportedly offered seventy million pounds for Keita, they said no. Gosh, which is just weird. And then uh, one last thing before we head out: uh, Gylfi Sigurdsson decided not to go with Swansea on their preseason tour in America. Apparently, he's just hours before they went on the plane, he was like, "I'm not going." Club's, club said he's not in the right frame of mind to travel right now as there's a lot of speculation going on if Sigerson is on his way out or not. Um, the club has valued him at 50 million pounds, which Ooh. I which I mean, that's for, for Swansea. He's worth that much. Yeah. Like, I, under, I, mean, I, under, you know I understand that Everton wants him on the cheap and offers like 20, 30. And that might be a more reasonable price for him. Yeah, I mean, especially if he's trying to force a move, right? Like, yeah. I think that. But at the same, know, but at the same time, for Swansea, he's worth that much. Yeah, and I'm torn because he's he's less than a year older than Kyle Walker, and we're just talking about you know Kyle Walker commanding 45 million, and I don't, I, I mean, Gilfie Sigurdsson is proven to be maybe not arguably the best at his position in the way Kyle Walker is, you know, one of the two or three best right backs, certainly in, in the premier league. Uh, but I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if an offer of 40 million came around, especially with like his kind of dissatisfaction that's manifest in refusing to go on tour. You know, 40 million is, a lot of money for a player who wants to leave anyway. Oh, yeah. And, but, yeah, I mean, also, you take take away his danger from set pieces and his produced goals from that, and Swansea are a pretty 
they, they look pretty doomed. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, though, because they would need to reinvest every single penny they get for Sigurdsson. Yeah, I'm not... I don't I don't know about that. Um, but, I mean, they, they can't go out and get another player for the same amount of money that's as good or better as him, but they're going to have know. to go out and spend to get bring in, like, three guys to sort of compensate for his loss. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think that it kind of comes down to the scouting network, right? Like, they they would be foolish at this point if they didn't have a handful of lower division English players already tapped for, you know, like, okay, if we lose Sigurdsson, then we're signing this guy from Forest, this guy from, you know, Brighton mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, yeah. um, I mean, because it seems to me that you could bring in that kind of catter of players. Me And, you know, it might turn out that you spend collectively $17 million on all three of them combined and only one proves to be a truly Premier League quality player. But you have to take that risk. And if you do that, then, you know, you have maybe kind of a B-minus quality substitute for Guilty Sigurdsson, but you're still in the black from the sale. And, you know, who knows what happens? You still have to play the games. If it ends up being, you know, from... From a supporter's point of view, of course, you just want to keep him. But from like a club point of view, then you see how the games go, and if it ends up bolstering the parachute payments to get relegated at the end of the season, to then hopefully use that to mount a charge back into the Premier League the following year, maybe that's what you have to do. But uh, I mean, again, you know, if I'm if I'm a supporter of the Swans, I say, you know, tough chips, just hang on to him. But because, as you say, they're not they're not going to be able to replace him with a player of his quality, even if they got all 50 million. Yeah. Yep. That's the thing. So we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, Swansea are in America for their preseason tour. With that, we'll say goodbye. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot is Keats was better. Polly is Peak was still WFAN. And then be sure to give Fandrick Sports a follow as well. And we'll talk to you again soon as we need to prepare for the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup after the weekend. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you.